Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. So whenever we experience the Holy Spirit and we know that He's dwelling within us, then all of a sudden we know that every promise that He's ever made about heaven, about here on earth, and everything else is true. And all of a sudden it just it gives us an appetite we cannot wait to get up there. We hope you find this message encouraging wrestling lessons and it's basically talking about Jacob and when he wrestled with God and uh, we've talked about the story for a couple of weeks so I'm not going to take but just a second to recap you can go back and listen to it if you want to but this was the quintessential dysfunctional family and uh, sometimes we uh, tend to put people in the Bible and the patriarchs of the faith we tend to put them up on a pedestal And we say, oh, if I could just have their faith, if I could just be like them, hey, you are more than you realize. Amen? Because sometimes we all have have things going on in our family. Sometimes we wish it would be different, but it's not. And here is Jacob, born into this dysfunctional family. Uh, The parents played favorites. There was sibling rivalry all the way through. Jacob was a deceiver. That's what his name means, deceiver. And... He lived his life all the way through on his terms, his way, cheating, just just on the edge, okay? And sometimes we do that. Don't look to the sides whenever I mention this because it'll incriminate you. Just look at me. But sometimes there's people who live life right on the edge of, well, I, I have plausible deniability, okay? I didn't really lie. I just didn't tell the truth, okay? That was how Jacob was. Jacob was just on that edge all the time. He would cheat a little bit, then he'd do some good, and then he'd lie a little bit, and then he'd do this. And So all the way through, him and his brother, one another, he, he tricks his brother into giving up his birthright, tricks his, brother, uh, t- tricks his dad into giving him his brother's blessing. And so then his brother swears he's going to kill him, so he takes off. Now sometimes we want to look at Jacob, and how many of you have ever seen a... Uh, our kids watch cartoons about Jacob and Esau and all that kind of stuff, and it shows Jacob as a real young man, okay? Eh, wrong answer. He's 40 years old when all this takes place. When he runs away from home, he's 40 years old. A little old to be running away from home, wouldn't you think? So then he goes and he spends the next 20 years with his uncle and kind of lies and cheats and steals his way through that and ends up being very, very blessed for it. It kind of causes a rift between him and his uncle. He starts back home, starts back to the land that was supposed to be his because of the blessing that he stole. And he's afraid his brother is still, after 20 long years, still holding this vendetta against him and still going to take his life. So he sends all these gifts, and we've talked about this. He sends all these things over. Then he sends all his servants, and then he sends his whole family across, and he's left on the other side of the river, the Jabbok River, about to enter into the promised land. And God says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, Mr. 60-year-old Isaac, you have... I mean, Jacob, you have lived your life your way up until this point. When you come back into this promised land, it's going to be on my terms. And so we take, took the story up there last week, and the, the lessons that we can learn from our wounded wrestler here is, number one, you've got to admit that your way doesn't work. That's what he forced 
Jacob to do was admit my way. 60 years of it. How many of you are 60 or close to 60 or over 60? Real quick. And how many of you would say, I'm pretty set in my ways? Oh, no hands went up? Come on. Come on. Is it, you're in church. You're in church. Not time. Don't start lying about it now. How many of you, I'll give you one more chance. How many of you say, I'm pretty well set in my ways? Okay. Here's 60-year-old Jacob. And he has this encounter with God, and God says, you got to change your ways. We're not real good at that, in case you haven't caught on. How many of you are less than 60, less than 50, and you'd say, I'm pretty well set in my ways? Oh, yeah. This is a statistic that's very troubling as far as humankind is concerned. When, when confronted with change or die, most of the time we choose to die. Yeah, oh me. And you say, not me. No, 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 no. Well, what about our habits? What about how we eat? How how much we eat? How about our habits? Smoking. Surgeon General, long time ago, decided that was bad for our health. (laughs) He does. (laughs) But he's got a pretty good idea. When confronted with change or die, you think about it for a minute. Think about it for a minute. Most time we would choose to die rather than change. Jacob is confronted with, you got to change in order to get across this river and get into the promised land and receive what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to get. So he had to admit, my way doesn't work. God was not about to let him cross that river and do this on his terms. It was going to be on God's terms. Number two, got to believe God is sufficient. Got to believe that. Got to know it in your knower that God is able abundantly and above to do exceedingly above anything that we can ask or think. Now, here was Jacob. He had the firstborn birthright. He traded it. Traded Esau out of it for a pot of stew. Esau gave it up that easy disrespected, Esau disrespected his birthright by doing that. Secondly, he stole the blessing from Isaac. Now, if this blessing, you remember whenever he went in and he fooled his dad, his dad pronounced this blessing, Esau comes in just a minute after he left and says, where's my blessing, father? And and Isaac says, who are you? I'm your your firstborn, I'm I'm Esau. You got to bless me. And he says, Oh, my goodness gracious, I have given your blessing away. Do our words matter? They should. God says they do. Life and death. And the power of the tongue. This thing right here. Life and death and the power of the tongue. And so what we say matters. What we bless people with matters. And so the thing that that we have to see is he got that blessing. Now, if he thought God was sufficient, if he thought the blessing was sufficient, would he have come back like he did? Send all all these gifts to Esau. Send all my servants in, in front of me. Send my family. Come on, man up. Walk across that river like you own it. Because he did. 
And the thing that we've got to understand is when God says you're blessed, you're blessed. Doesn't matter if we feel it. Doesn't matter if we sense it. If God says you're blessed, you're blessed. And so he had to come to this idea, and finally he realizes God is winning here. That's what his name change means. God prevails. God wins. When he changed his name from Jacob to Esau, it was just a constant reminder. Every time somebody would say his name, God wins. God wins. It was just a constant reminder of that. So by him admitting and and saying, hey, you're more powerful than me. Would you bless me? That's what he did when he was wrestling. He wouldn't let let the angel man go. And he said, bless me or I won't let you go. So he was admitting Number one, when he admitted his name was deceiver, he, he admitted his way wouldn't work. When he said, uh, uh, would you bless me, he was admitting God was sufficient. Amen? So, that brings us up to where we stopped. And the thing that we've got to do is, number three, confess your flaws to God. And so many times what we are more adept at doing is admitting somebody else's flaws. I did that, but Esau didn't love you like I love you, God. He was a man out in the field. He wasn't wasn't like me. And so sometimes what we're more adept at doing is talking to other people about somebody else's sin rather than talking to God about our own. Okay? This This is him facing God, emptying himself out and saying, God, here I am, and I am a deceiver. And so what we've got to do is come to that mindset to his old song years and years ago. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Amen. So many times we want to run tattle on somebody to God. God, they're not doing it right. Well, what about you? Okay. And it's very, very plain in the word. It says, if we'll confess our sin. If we'll confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive it and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hey, we're sinners. Amen? And and for the most part, we're practicing sinners. And practice makes perfect a lot of times. Amen? Amen? I mean, that's what it means. It means that we're, we're continuing. How many of you have ever gone to, to, uh, to see a doctor that he's practicing medicine? <laughs> you think about that for a minute. <laughs> he's practicing. He's getting better at it. <laughs> we're practicing sinners. Now, yes, we're saved. And yes, we should sin less. But as long as we're here on this earth, we are not perfect. Amen. What we've got to do is strive to get better, and the way that we get better is to allow the Holy Spirit to have more of us, to occupy more of our lives, so that we don't practice it like we used to, that we're not going out there and, and you know, there's, there's two ways you sin. There is commission, that I commit myself to sin. I know it's wrong, and I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And then there's the sin of omission, and that's when you don't do what you know you should. And so sometimes we, we've got to take account of ourselves. We've got to step back, and we've got to look at ourselves. Th- this, is, this is my thing, okay? I'm not, I'm not pronouncing any kind of guilt trip on anybody. But sometimes I just try to take a step back, and I say, God, how do you see me? 
I would like to think I'm just all that. I would like to think I'm doing it as, as good as it can be done. But then when I take a step back and say, I just say, Philip, how, how is God looking at you? How does God see you? How does God see your heart? Because see, God's got x-ray vision. He can see past what's on the outside, and he can see way down deep in our hearts. And sometimes, sometimes, our hearts are the problem. And sometimes it's those little things. Song of Solomon, it says, be careful of the little foxes. Because they're the things that spoil the vine. It's not that great big, I've talked to you about it before. Peter, whenever he is confronted with, Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. Oh, the rest of these slackers, God, they might deny you, but not me. Man's man. Going to show them all how it's done and what happens. It's not that the devil jumps out from behind a bush and says, Peter, you better deny the Lord. Because, again, I think the fight would have been on. Peter was a sailor. He was a rough and tough kind of guy. If some big burly fella had to come up at that fire, punched him in the chest with his finger and said, hey, you were with Jesus, I think it would have been a knockdown, drag out. The whole account would be different. But it was a little girl that came up and said, hey, you were with Jesus, weren't you? No way! No how! Not me! Er, er, er. And that account always, it, it haunts me. I'll put it this way. It's Luke chapter 2. I mean, Luke chapter uh, 22, I think. And in that account, it tells us that whenever he denied Jesus, Jesus turns around, not a word spoken, And just looks him in the eye. And Peter just melts. And I don't know about you, but I've been in that spot before. Whenever I've done something or said something, split second, had a flesh flash. Anybody ever had a flesh flash? Maybe you're driving, maybe somebody tries to cut line in front of you in these long Christmas lines, and you have a flash flash, and you say, hey, hey, you, I'm fixing to stick my finger in your eye if you don't get to the back of the line. And then all of a sudden, the Lord catches you. And he doesn't look us in the eye per se, but he looks us in the heart. And sometimes you've got to say, oh, my goodness. I'll never forget this. <laughs> this is one of those times whenever I had a little, it wasn't really a flash flash, but I had a, I had a motorcycle for years. And uh, I was driving down the road. It was two, two lanes heading in one direction. The, the, the street split, and this, this two lanes went south, and this two lanes went north. And I'm headed to meet somebody for lunch. I got tied up on the phone for a minute at the church, so I just ran out, didn't put my helmet on. I'm dressed basically like I am here. I had on a set of khakis instead of jeans, but a golf shirt. And so I don't put my helmet on. I jump on my motorcycle, boom, head down the street there. I'm not, I'm not speeding necessarily, but I sure ain't sparing at anything. And so here's this guy in an Oldsmobile 98, and he is in the right lane. And I just go to ease on around him, and about that time, he saw a fruit stand on the other side of the road, and evidently he wanted a watermelon or a cantaloupe or something, and he cuts from that outside lane all the way across my lane. 
And uh, it's, it's amazing what you can see in a split second and how fast your mind can think. I look at the curb over here, and it's about a six-inch curb on the side of the road. And I said, uh-uh, that ain't going to work. <laughs> and wheel's going to catch that, and it's going to slide and throw me off of this thing. So the only thing I could do was just try to work with him as far as I could, and I got as far over as, as I could before my motorcycle kind Now, my right arm ripped his mirror off of his door. And my motorcycle caught him just behind the front wheel. Boom. Left a pretty good dent in that Oldsmobile 98. And it was an old one. And how many of you know that was back when steel was steel? Okay. No plastic on this car. And so this is one of those times when you got to say, God, you had your hand on me so much. Because the next thing I know, I'm standing in the middle of this intersection. My motorcycle was sliding across the pavement, kind of slid up a tree and then came back down. And I'm standing there without a, basically without a scratch. How it happened, there's got to be an angel somewhere that's as flat as a pancake. That's the only thing I can chalk it up to. I picked up a piece of my motorcycle that was laying there on the ground, and I threw it down on the ground, and I said, you are an idiot. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. <laughs> because, I mean, just that quick, even with all the adrenaline and everything that was going, I knew I shouldn't have called that guy an idiot. And he's just standing there with his mouth open, and he said, son, if I was you, I'd call me more than an idiot. <laughs> but what I'm telling you, sometimes when the pressure is on, sometimes we'll get that little flash flash. We'll do something that's not, not what we should do. And I'm just telling you that it's those moments whenever we've got to say, God, this is, this is me and my way's not working and I know you're sufficient and God, would you forgive me? For what I've done. Now that's as a believer. As a, as a non-believer. We've got all that junk piled up that we've ever done. When, when confronted with the trade. I can trade all that junk that I've done. All that yucky stuff. All that mean, rotten, ugly, nasty stuff I've ever done. And I can trade it to Jesus for salvation. Duh. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't trade that? I want to get rid of all that junk. And so what we've got to do is we've got to be quick to repent. We can't just stand there and say, well, you know, it'll be okay. No. Give it to God. God, I'm sorry. I've always, as, as a believer, I, my heart is always quick to hear what the Lord says. Sometimes I jump out there and say, you're an idiot and stuff like that. But whenever the Lord confronts me about that, we've got to be quick. I mean that quick. God, I confess my sin. And here was Jacob, whenever he said, I'm a deceiver, he was confessing it to God. Wow, where'd that come from? So, anyway, the thing that we got to do is be really, really quick. And he is very, very, very clear at his word. He says that if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just. David says this, and he says, I, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my guilt, the guilt of my sin." David talked about it in the Old Testament. David, was a, he was a practicing sinner. Even when he knew better, he committed adultery and then he committed murder to try to cover it up. Hello. Again, 
Sometimes we put people in the Bible up on pedestals and we say, oh man, if I could just be like them. No, don't, don't do it like they did it. Amen? So the thing that we've got to do is admit that we've sinned. Admit that God can cover it. God can take care of it. God has already paid the price for our sin. And the only thing he's waiting on us to do is say, God, I am a sinner. I blew it. I absolutely blew it. Would you forgive me? And guess what? That quick, he's faithful and just to forgive it. And go one step further and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that means that he's going to forgive the stuff that we didn't know we did if we'll just confess the stuff we knew we did. Somebody say amen. Got to desire a change. That's number four. Desire a change. I heard a story about this uh, old fella. He and his family had gone into the big city. First time they had ever been to the big city. They were, I mean, they lived out in the boonies. They They lived in the middle of nowhere. Had never experienced anything. Didn't have running water. Didn't have... Uh, electricity and one day they have reason to go to the big city and they're just amazed i mean look at all these big buildings these paved streets instead of dirt roads and it's just amazing they walk into this big building and he's just mesmerized by this one thing and it is he sees this this young kid walk into this into this small room And the door closed behind him, and in a second, he came back out, and he was old. He was like 90 years old. And he is just mesmerized. I mean, he is just sitting there staring at it. And he watches watches this woman walk into this small room, and then she comes out as a man. And he is just like, "This this is wild. I have heard of a lot of things in the big city, but I've never heard about this one. So finally, here's this older lady. She's kind of heavy set. She walks into the in, into this room, and the door is closed behind her. And in a second, she walks out, and she is a twenty year old, just absolute knockout of a woman. And the old man looks at his son. And he says, "Boy, go get your mama." <laughs> Okay, we got to desire more than just a change. We got to desire a change of heart. Okay, let's let's clarify this. We do need to desire a change of heart. And again, this is all about God seeing beyond the surface because so many times people on the surface look like they have got it all together. I've talked about this many, many times. We come into church sometimes and somebody say, "Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great." Shake hands, hug necks, we're just, we're just great. And whenever it gets quiet or maybe the lights go out, the smile goes away because on the inside we're dying. And you know what? God knows that. You can, you can fool people. You can make them think you've got everything just like it ought to be, but God knows our heart. And the thing that we've got to do is let him come in and change our heart. You've heard me pray the prayer, and I pray it often. God, would you change me? Would you make me into something that looks a whole lot more like your son Jesus and looks a whole lot less like me? The only way that can happen is from the inside out. Whenever I think about when God saved me, and that's been a lot of years ago, I still get choked up about it because I was... At that point in my life, I was an adult. 
And I was very, very, very jaded about life. I was very, very, very introverted. And I didn't like people. It's just point blank. I didn't like people, didn't want to be around people. I didn't want friends. Fact is, Miss Angie got saved about a year before I did. And what did I tell you? <laughs> she could tell you what a, I told her. I said, don't go up there and get everybody, get something started that you can't finish. Because I said, when you quit going, they're going to be down here beating on my door, wondering why you ain't coming to church anymore. Oh, God. They say confession's good for the soul, so I ought to be really good for the day here. I've confessed a lot. My nature was not to like people. Didn't want to be around people. Whenever we bought, we ended up buying a farm, building a, I built a house on it. And whenever I did, I built my house right in the middle of 70 acres. My driveway, this is no, no exaggeration, my driveway was 1,000 yards long. And it wasn't a straight shot. It was curving and winding up through the woods. And if you came up there, you better have a reason to be there. I met more than one ups man with a pistol in my hand. Because I'd hear them coming up the driveway. What are they doing up here? I ought to be really good on confession for a while. <laughs> and I will never forget the night. You've heard me tell the story before because it's a big part of my testimony. My wife convinced me to go to an Easter passion play. I didn't want to go. The only reason I agreed to go was to get her off my back. And the day that it happened, the day that this was going to take place was a good Friday. And it was the first pretty day that spring, and it was the first day that the guy was able to bring gravel for me to make my 1,000-yard driveway. So I was on the tractor spreading gravel like crazy. They brought 27 loads of gravel that day, big loads of gravel. So I'm just out there. I mean, I'm Oliver Wendell Douglas. I'm on the tractor. Some of you get that. <laughs> and uh, uh, I was spreading gravel, and I was going to work till dark. She comes driving up the new driveway. I'm like, aren't you proud of doing all this? She steps out, and she says, you about ready to go? And I said, knowing full well exactly what she was talking about, I said, go where? She said, well, you promised you'd go with me. And if she had a, I threw me a little, as I've told the story, and it's, this is exactly how it was, I threw me a little cowboy fit. I didn't have on a cowboy hat, but I had on some boots, and I was stomping them. I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. And if she had argued, and those of you that know Angie well know that her, for her not to argue, that was a God thing. <laughs> she didn't argue, she didn't even say a word. She just looked at me. I'll be to the house as soon as the tractor will get there. We load up. We go. I'm mad. All the way. I'm mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this little neighbor girl went with us. And it was, that's a long story. <laughs> I, Angie says I scared her because I was mad. So I get there and for the first time in my life i watched this passion play it was less than cellular for sure and whenever jesus was hanging on the cross it was like all of a sudden i mean this is just it was a supernatural experience it was like there was no this this big church probably 
six, seven hundred people in the sanctuary. And all of a sudden, it was just like I was sitting in that place alone. Like there was a white hot spotlight shining on me. And I just felt like the Lord said to me, I did this for you. And at the end of that, because I was one of these, I thought I had it figured out. I thought I knew something. Uh, as I've shared with you, I, I could tell the gospel story is good or better than anybody in church. We, uh, I'll get into that another time. I had watched television. I had read a lot. I was a reader even back then. And I knew the story. It was just a story, though. And so at the end of that, the preacher got up there and he said, if you think you're going to heaven, but you would like concrete proof, then I want you to get up and I want you to come up here and we're going to pray with you. And I got up. Stepped on a bunch of toes, getting all, it was long, long rows. <laughs> I bet I stepped on a hundred toes getting out of there. And I walked that aisle, and I went there and prayed a prayer. And again, it was still like it was just me and the Lord. Nobody had to lead me in a sinner's prayer. I knelt at that altar, and I said, God, 24 years I've done it my way, and it ain't working. I need you. Would you forgive me? Would you save me? Come into my heart. And I'm telling y'all, from that point on, it was there was no turning back. It was a supernatural experience. It was not me just saying a few words and deciding that I was saved. It was radical, to say the least. So much so that the people that I worked with were like, what's up with you? <laughs> you're not like you were. Yep, you're right. And so the thing that I'm telling you is we've got to want God to change us. We, it's a process. It is not a one-time deal. It was not a one-night deal for me to kneel at an altar. It's to desire my heart to be different. God, I want to change. I want to be more like you. I want to let the Holy Spirit lead me. And this is how many ever years later, a bunch of years later, and I still want that. I'm still imperfect. I still miss the mark sometimes. I still don't do it right every time. But I want to. And that's what God wants us all to be, is to keep our hearts sensitive and soft to him. See, I, my heart was so hard. It was like a stone. But on the inside, it was still pretty soft. And once, once Jesus broke through that, I was you can ask my wife i couldn't i couldn't even be in church without just bawling like a baby still get that way sometimes because i desired a change of heart so whenever we've done that we 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 god god my way won't work and we admit it and then we come to the understanding that god is sufficient and if he ain't sufficient there ain't nobody else that is sufficient and we've got to confess our sin and say, God, here I am, as messed up as I am. Would you please accept me and forgive that? And then we say, God, would you change me from the inside out? And then we've got to, and this is number five, this is how we're wrapping up. We've got to get ready to enter into the promised land of cleansing and forgiveness. Because guess what? 
once we do that, we have a promise not only that someday, whenever we leave this life, however it is, we are going to get to the promised land. Amen? What a day that's going to be. When my Jesus, I shall cease. Amen. I'm looking forward to it. People have said for years, oh, I'm homesick for heaven. I never understood that till the last few years. How can you be homesick for a place you've never been? Because you know who's there. And you know what it's going to be like. And the more I look at it and the more I study it, the more I know that when we get there, we are going to say, I couldn't even wrap my brain around how awesome this is. But then he also, he gives us forgiveness and allows us to get just a little taste through the Holy Spirit. Gives us just a little touch of heaven here on earth, and that is the Holy Spirit being within us. It's like, have you ever been really, really hungry, and you went to one of these places, and, and okay, dinner's not going to be served for an hour, but we give you uh, appetizers. I'll never forget one time I went to one place and they were serving appetizers and, and what they had to drink as, a, as part of the appetizer thing was uh, grapefruit juice. And I'm like, that's not very uh, appetizing, I don't think. You try it sometime. If you're already a little bit hungry and you drink a little bit of grapefruit juice, you'll be like, would you step away from that table because I'm fixing to gnaw the legs off of it right here, right now. I'm telling you, it was amazing to me. I'm drinking a little cup of grape juice, and they had some hors d'oeuvres out there and things. And it's like, uh, I needed something to wash it down and drink that grapefruit juice. And it's like, okay, you better get it out here. We're fixing to eat the table right here. That's what the Holy Spirit is like. Fact is, this is what Paul says about it in Ephesians and Colossians. He said the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. The, the guarantee that every promise that he has ever made is true. So whenever we experience the Holy Spirit and we know that he's dwelling within us, then all of a sudden we know that every promise that he's ever made about heaven, about here on earth, and everything else is true. And all of a sudden it just it gives us an appetite. I cannot wait to get up there. Amen. I cannot wait till that day whenever I get to leave here because... You know, you've heard me talk about it before. Sometimes we look around and say, is this as good as it gets? It's, for most of us, we would say, is 2017 as good as it gets? You look at all the stuff that's happened. Look at all the things that have happened in 2017. And you say, if this is as good as it gets, I, I don't know if it's, you know, just forget it. But it's the Holy Spirit within us that lets us know this is not as good as it gets. That one day we're going to get to cross that finish line. One day, if we, you know, we're going to get up there and we're going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy. Look at your neighbor and say joy. I didn't say happiness. I didn't say happy day. I didn't say all this stuff. It's joy. Joy is something that comes from within because of what you're experiencing without. Happiness is what happens from without. It makes you feel good. Get that warm and fuzzy for a minute. But it kind of fades away. Joy is something that's going to come from within. Because we are getting to experience everything that Jesus said. Amen. So here's the thing. I, I just want you to. 
Bow your heads. Close your eyes. We're getting ready to close. Here's the thing, and I know it's true. Because it's true with me. 2017, some of you have wrestled with God. God, how could this, and why did this, and what did this, and how could this? And we, not just like Jacob, because he wrestled with God physically, but emotionally and spiritually, there's been a lot of people wrestling with God, including myself this year. Because there's been a lot of things happen that I haven't understood, been a lot of things that I couldn't wrap my brain around, a lot of things that just didn't make sense. And God's saying, if you'll just give it up, if you'll just say, my way doesn't work, confess what, what you've done that needs fixing, give it to me and, and let me run with it, let me run with you, then you know what? 2018 is going to be a better year. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're just here this morning and maybe you're saying, God, I'm, I'm giving up 2017 and I'm looking forward to 2018, would you help me? I confess maybe I, I didn't do it all right. I confess maybe that I tried it my way and it didn't work. And God, for all the stuff I did wrong, I'm asking for your forgiveness. Would you help me? Would you just fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit? Amen.